Welcome to Play by Players, an MLSPA podcast. This show is brought to you by the players and is all about the players, both past and present, who have plied their trade in MLS. You'll hear about each player's journey into the game, their careers and life after the game, on the field and off. It's all on the table. Now here's your host, former MLS player, Bobby Boswell. Welcome to another episode of Play by Players. Today's guest is a midfielder turned goalkeeper, which as anyone who knows me knows, it is my favorite position on the field based on their personalities alone. He has played over 100 professional games in his career. He is currently battling for the MLS Supporter Shield with Austin FC. He's in the running for MLS Goalkeeper of the Year. His name is being tossed around for the U.S. Men's National Team pool. As impressive as all of that is, it's his work off the field that has made him more of a household name these days. Some of those things that I'm talking about, he works with organizations like Current Initiatives, Equality Texas, Athlete Ally, and 4ATX Foundation, where he's, he, he is receiving attention on a global scale for award nominations and recognition. Please welcome to the podcast, Brad Stuver. Well, wow. What an intro. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Uh, and then my favorite thing uh, that I've I've been doing a lot of these. I think we've done uh, close to 40. And for uh, for for me, it was a lot of fun telling my family that you were going to be on because you're one of my kids' favorite soccer players. And my kids actually say, Brad, super, because they think you're super. So I, they don't even let me correct them. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you're a big hit in our household. And I think you're going to be a big hit to, uh, to the listeners. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, let's dive right in. So uh, a lot of people uh, don't know your story from the real beginning, as we hinted at before uh, we started this. Um, I grew up, my dad was in the Air Force. Uh, you have something similar. I believe your dad was in the Army. Yep. Uh, and you moved around a lot as a kid. Do I have that right? No. So I actually did not move around a lot. So uh, my brother was, uh, he was born in Georgia, um, pretty short Fort Bragg. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but then uh, when I was about to be born, my dad was kind of just getting out of the service and they were settling down in Ohio. Um, my mom always told me the story about I was probably a month or two away from being born. And that's when the U.S. kind of started going over to the Middle East. And uh, my dad tried to re-up and go over and serve in the war and my mom basically like was like I'm about to have another kid and like you can't do that like you have to stay here and like be a father to your two sons so uh my dad took that to heart and ended up just settling in Ohio okay well I know uh I know that Cleveland likes to claim you but I think is it true you're more of a, a Twinsburg Ohio native Yep. Twinsburg is, it, it is home. That's where my family is still at. That's uh, where I went to high school. It's where I went to school. Uh, I was born in downtown Cleveland. I went to college in downtown Cleveland, but I was born and raised in Twinsburg. Well, since you said where you were born, just so those uh, Dynamo fans that uh, are watching the YouTube version of this, I'm wearing uh, the, the rave green. Uh, I was born in Austin, Texas, so I am allowed to wear this especially uh, when I'm interviewing you so uh, but it's not about me this is about you uh, let's talk about Twinsburg I love looking up random things Twinsburg is known for the largest festival for twins in the world it's called Twins Day where you guessed it they celebrate multiple births um, I think we could probably do a whole podcast just on this festival but again this is about you I just like to bring up uh, where the person is from and think something about that area. Uh, yeah. You are on the list of notable people from Twinsburg. There's some NFL guys, James Posey. Uh, there's some boy band members. Apparently that's pretty popular. Um, but you are among that, that list of, uh, of famous celebrities. And Ohio in general is a really hot, big hotbed. We've had several guys on the podcast from Ohio, various parts. Uh, what do you think it is about, uh, about Ohio that produces really good soccer players? I have no idea because, like, when you look at Texas, when you look at California, players can play outside all year round. When you look at Ohio, we were outdoors 
very limited amount of time. Uh, but no, I mean, Ohio is a big, big state. I mean, our ODP, like back when ODP was like a big thing, we had two regions. We had Ohio North and Ohio South. Um, we just had a lot of different players coming from a lot of different places. And then, I mean, you definitely had the Akron class of Ohio guys that kind of ruled the league there in 2010. But uh, since then, we've had plenty others. Yeah, no, there's there's too many, way too many guys to name. But, um, you know, you hinted, you talked about, you actually referred to your brother earlier um, and you talked about your dad. I think for you, as we'll see throughout this, um, you know, the work that you've done, also the work that your wife has done, you've talked in, uh, extensively about how big family is to you. I know your brother will claim uh, that he, he he's responsible for all your success and that he used to blast shots at you and that, that you had to be the goalie in order to play with them. But, you know, tell me what it was like coming up. You know, did you play a lot of other sports or was soccer kind of always your thing? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, my brother was the first one in our family to play soccer. Uh, everyone else in our family didn't really know much about it. Um, so he was kind of the, the trailblazer for our family into soccer and me being the little brother, I wanted to do everything that my older brother did and uh, kind of followed in his footsteps and wanted to do everything that him and his friends were doing. Um, but I played almost every sport growing up, played baseball until I was 14, um, played tennis through my sophomore year of high school, um, played basketball in middle school, um, never played football. Um, and then just soccer club rec, uh, ODP development Academy, high school, college. Well, so yeah, the, the interesting thing about you is, uh, a lot of the stuff I, you know, I looked up, you know, great details on, you know, made, made a lot of the, uh, preparing for this easy, the club soccer thing was a, a little bit harder and I wasn't sure, um, you know, there isn't a whole lot on it and there's not a whole lot on club soccer in general in uh in the state of ohio um tell us a little bit was it caps do you play for the caps fc or what who was your who was your club coach or who was your club team growing up yeah so i was kind of in a weird age range where i kind of like hit every like kind of like soccer development program as it was like becoming a thing um so growing up i played for twinsburg ac which was like my local club team and then from there, I started playing for the Cleveland Whitecaps. Um, and the coaches there were like Mike Sweeney and Pat Sweeney, both guys that had played professional soccer, were on the Canadian men's national team, um, just kind of settled in Ohio and started running this club. Um, and then I joined ODP um, at the height of like everyone wanting to do regional team and making the national team through ODP. Um, and then I was one of the first groups to play with the development academy when I first started before it started, uh, joining MLS teams and kind of having like a development academy through an, an MLS team. There were just club teams that were claiming the development academy and you went to like showcases and all of these things. Um, and that I was on, I don't even remember the name of the team because it folded, I think it was like CASA, C-A-S-A. And it folded like the next year that I had left and then gone to college. Um, but yeah, club soccer in Ohio, I'm, I, it, it is what it is. It's not, well, as, it's not a well, big thing. A couple of things I'll point out and we'll get to it later, but it seems that teams folding after you leave is a uh, kind of a, kind of a common theme, but um, how did the Sweeney brothers or the Sweeney guys uh, that can as Canadian internationals feel uh, about your love and support of like, uh, was it Brad Friedel? That was your favorite U.S. player? I mean, did, was there a lot of banter going on with, with that? No, because uh, Friedel was very uh, – he was hands-on in the Cleveland area. He would always come back when he was playing in England. He would come back and put on, like, goalkeeper camps and, like, soccer camps in the summer. And then it ultimately became he wanted to make his own kind of academy in Ohio. And obviously that was a, a failed venture but there was a lot of uh, Brad Friedel ties and like soccer community ties to that, uh, to that facility. So here's the question though. Now as a, as a veteran of MLS and a professional goalie, if you looked up to Brad Friedel, did that 
academy really fail. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe monetarily for him. I was going to say the, the experiences that I had are super memorable. Like, I don't think he'll remember some of the soccer camps, some of the things that he had said to me um, as I was growing up, but there are certain moments where I remember talking to him one-on-one. I remember watching him train with his goalkeeper coach and like a lot of these things as a youth player, you're looking up to these guys and like you're trying to emulate everything you see. And so just kind of like watching that, seeing that and having distinct pictures in my mind. Um, like I said, I highly doubt he'll remember any of it. Um, but it's something that has kind of like stuck with me ever since I saw. It. Okay. Well, we talked a little bit about that club stuff where your story gets really cool for me is high school soccer. Um, you know, these new guys that are in the league, like, not only did they not go to college, like they didn't even go to high school anymore. So it's so much fun when I get to see uh, that I've got a guy that, you know, is a professional goalie, but also played on the field a little bit in high school. Uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, uh, where you went to high school. So I went to Twinsburg High School. Uh, my brother was a senior when I was a freshman. So I got the very cool uh, experience of getting to play with my brother in high school. When I was a freshman, uh, I was able to win the starting goalkeeper role as a freshman with the varsity team. Uh, my brother was a defender, so I got to play with him uh, that year. We made it to the regional final and lost um, to, to date. That's the, that's the best quote unquote uh, team in Twinsburg history. Uh, we made it the farthest. By no means were we the most talented. Uh, we were just, we had about 10, 12 seniors who like, <laughs> were bigger than everybody else and we found a way to win. Uh, but then as the years went on, uh, we started getting more talented players. But my senior year, we had a, we had a young goalkeeper who was also extremely talented. And we were a little light in the midfield and didn't have... <laughs> A lot of players that were playing club at the time. So my coach kind of looked at me and he was like, hey, I know it's your senior year. I know you're trying to go to college as a goalkeeper, but how would you feel about coming out of the goal and playing midfield? So for the first 10 games, I was the goalkeeper. And then for the remaining 12 games, he was like, threw me on the field as a midfielder. And uh, I think I ended up scoring like 10 goals or something in those 12 games. You scored 12 goals and you had had three assists. So you averaged a goal every game and an assist every four games. So, Hey, um, okay. Good stats. And you were an all state player and you were an academic all American. So you were smarty pants as well. I took school very seriously in high school. That started to drive off college. (laughs) No, no, listen, don't, don't diminish this, right? Don't (laughs) diminish this. We're here to, we're here to uh, pump you up. Right. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about, you know, obviously you're having fun, you're playing midfield, you're doing what the team needs, but you want to be a goalie. Um, you talked about ODP, so you you knew you were going to go to college. How did you decide on, you know, you end up going to Cleveland State, you become a Viking, uh, but how do you end up, uh, you know, did you look other places? Uh, were you heavily recruited, not, not heavily? Um, what were you thinking? So uh, Twinsburg, small school, uh, me, very, I was a very small kid in high school. I was five foot two my freshman year. I didn't really hit my growth spurt until like senior year of high school. So I was not like the odds on favorite to go to a big name college and kind of become the goalkeeper. But I did go, um, I kind of went on a couple serious visits. I went to Louisville. We would drive down and like watch the games and talk to the coaches. Um, we went to Indiana, Elon. Um, and we kind of talked to all those coaches and they all kind of said the same thing. They were kind of like, yeah, you'll come in. And for probably the first two years, you'll sit the bench, maybe redshirt a year. And, um, hopefully by your junior year, you might be able to push to become the starter. Um, and for me, that wasn't something I wanted to do. I kind of wanted to play right away. And the best thing for me at the time was just being on the field and playing as many games as possible. Um, so I started looking in Ohio. Um, my club coaches were actually the coaches at Cleveland state. 
So um, I kind of talked to them, but I was also looking at um, some D3 schools, some D2 schools. Uh, one of the most notable ones was Ohio Wesleyan. Uh, it's one of the most prestigious D3 schools for soccer in the country. Um, so I was kind of deciding between Cleveland State and Ohio Wesleyan, and I ended up going with Cleveland State just because it was a D1 program, and uh, I thought that if I had a chance at going pro, it would be coming out of a D1 school just because of the like the stature that Division One had at the time over Division Three. Yeah, and, and you know we won't under uh, undersell the fact that they were also uh, the Vikings there. They have a great story on their mascots. Uh, it was like Hagar the Horrible. Then they changed it, got real creative and named it Vike, as in just V-I-K-E. And then I think when you were there, it was Magnus was the uh, Magnus. Was, yeah, yep. Magnus the mascot, which is a, a great name. Um, I kind of make a joke there, but you played a ton of games. Uh, you came in, you said you wanted to play. That was important to you. And, and that's what you did. Um, once you, you got the job your freshman year, you kept it for your whole your whole uh, career. Your sophomore year, um, you had a lot, a lot of success. You won, I think, Horizon League Goalkeeper of the Year. Um, then you fast forward again, a lot more games. You win a conference championship as a senior, and then you uh, you guys went to the big show, which is um, you know that's everyone's dream. And I remember when I played, it was like the decision day, like when they're announcing, like, um, did you have that experience for, I mean, is that, do you remember like where you were and, and like how big that was for, for you? Yeah. I mean, it was a big thing for our school. Uh, that was the first time that we had made the NCAA tournament in men's soccer since like the 1980s. Um, so it was a pretty big deal and our athletic department got everybody together in like the, the student union and, um, like our union was like a two story and it had like this little atrium that like people were like up top, like looking down, we had a big screen. All the players were like sitting front row, like watching the screen. And you just kind of had like this congregation of people like all around us. You had people up on the second row, just kind of looking down. And uh, I mean, it was a very cool experience. And even though our journey into the NCAAs was very quick, it was a, it was a great, it was a great experience and it was a very cool thing to bring I back. To say, most guys that played college, uh, a lot of them didn't even go to the tournament that the guys that did even myself, like we all had early exits, um, only a handful, I think make that special run, which is why it's so special. So um, before we talk about your mentality and, and what your expectations were at the pro level um, during your college years, you played for two different PDL teams Um you had the Cleveland Internationals and the Accurate Summit Assault, I think, if I got that right. Um, Nailed it. Uh, the Cleveland Internationals had some notable guys like Darlington, uh, Ubi Parapovich. I never I never even attempt to say his first name, but he's, uh, I think, coincidentally, he's now the head coach of your college. Um, he is. So that's pretty cool. Steve Zakawani, uh, Josh Williams, who you uh, probably have had a, a lifetime of soccer with. Uh, based on where he's from and, and where you end up. Um, and then you had my old roommate, Mark Birch, was a, an alumni there. Uh, both those teams folded, which is kind of the joke I made earlier. But what was your experience like in the PDL world, um, you know, where you're, you're starting to gain experience with guys that are kind of the best from all around? Yeah, PDL was actually really tough for me. Um, both teams, uh, like we had – four goalkeepers that were all coming from really good schools. And unfortunately only one goalkeeper can really play on those teams. Um, and so the coaching staff made decisions where like we would either rotate or like this guy needed more games or something like that. And uh, with Akron, I actually got injured. Like I like almost broke my foot. So I didn't really play all too many games with them. Um, with Cleveland Summit Assault, I was still kind of, I was on the younger side, so the older goalkeepers kind of got more minutes. But um, it was definitely cool just to be around, like, all the guys you mentioned and all the other guys that were there. Um, it was cool to um, play with them and kind of learn off of them and learn about their experiences in college and kind of um, to look back and see how their journeys turned out. It, it's kind of cool to just be like, oh, yeah, I remember when 
we were in PDL or when we were doing pickup games at an indoor facility back in Ohio. Um, but it's just cool to like look back and know that these guys like had very similar journeys. And then, you know, fast forward now, you know, the, you get knocked out of the tournament. Are you, are you thinking, all right, I want to be a professional goalie. Are you, do you, do you feel like you have an opportunity? What are your, are your coaches telling you something? What, what is it like before you find out you're, you're going to the combine? Yeah. So for about two years, um, my goalkeeper coach was really the one that kind of put the faith in me and kind of told me that he thought that I had the ability to go pro if I put the work in. Um, so my junior year on spring break, I actually spent spring break with the Seattle Sounders training um, during my junior spring break. And then the summer before my senior season, I drove up and I trained with uh, the Montreal Impact for two weeks. So it was really like those last two years of my college career where like my goalkeeper coach kind of took me aside. I was like, this is a possibility for you, but here's what we need to do. Um, so obviously like my parents were on board and obviously helped me financially get to these places, um, and give me the opportunity to kind of showcase. And then after the senior, after the senior season, and, um, after losing to Michigan state, um, my goalkeeper coach kind of quit Cleveland state and sort of become, became my agent at the time. And he was the one that kind of got me into the, into the combine. And when he told me that, I thought that it was a real possibility that I would um, have a chance at the next level. Yeah. And I think you were the uh, only player out of the horizon league to, to go to the combine um, that yeah. year. And, um, you know, just going down there where, because it sounds like you had such confidence because of the confidence your coach gave you were, Obviously, you're still somewhat nervous, but you had to feel pretty good um, going in. Again, this is you're starting to get up the pyramid, right? Where yeah. it's like PDL, uh, college, and now you've got the best of the college kids. Um, you know, did you did you have a good combine? Were you nervous? What, what was what was my combine was average at best. Um, I was on the same team as the UNC goalkeeper, so um, we split time and. Uh, my team was okay at best. Um, I made a couple good saves, gave up a couple goals, but you really don't get enough time at those showcases to like really prove how good you are or like what you know in the game. And I, I was never and am never the most gifted physical specimen. So my 40 yard dash, my, standing jump long jump agility drills didn't blow anybody out of the water either so i was just kind of happy to be there and kind of have my name in the mix at the combine um but by no means was it like a standout performance for me well you did well enough to get drafted um you were taken um in 2013 drafts montreal uh, coincidentally the same team you trained with they obviously liked you I would I would make a point to say that uh, everywhere you've gone and where you've been, you usually have a history with someone there. So you clearly are making an impact. Uh, that's a terrible pun there. You're clearly <laughs> making a, an impression that's valuable. Um, but you were taken 32nd overall um, in that draft. You know, were you you know, I, I would imagine your family was still pretty, pretty excited about that. And, and you were excited about that. Yeah, we actually showed up to the draft. Uh, me and my parents just kind of drove there. We weren't, we didn't have passes or anything. We just kind of showed up and we were walking around the convention. I was in a suit because I, I knew nothing about it. Um, but we were walking around the convention center. And then one of the administrators that was at the MLS Combine kind of like looked in my direction and came up to me over there like, are you sitting in the player section? I was like, no. Like, I don't even know what conference room the draft is going on. We just wanted to be here. Like, we just wanted to, like, be here, experience it. And so they were the ones that actually took us into, like, the players' area of the draft. And we were, I think we were all a little shocked when Montreal uh, took us so high. Um, if, like, my expectation going into it was just kind of 
Like if I get drafted, it'll probably be in the third or fourth round and it won't be today or anything like that. So it was more just going there to experience everything and kind of see firsthand what it was like. And it, the day turned very different. Yeah, that's awesome. That's an incredible trip. Um, I'm, I'm sure y'all are glad you did it. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about, we'll speed through some of this stuff, but, um, you know, obviously you go into Montreal, um, you know, any, I, I've spoken at these rookie symposiums. It's very hard for guys to go in that even if you're drafted, um, there's no secure spots and you go in and you're competing for that coveted third, fourth spot Uh, doesn't end up working out for you there, but it kind of does right in that. Uh, you know, people, most of people that are listening to this, even as MLS fans are unaware of what an MLS pool contract is, but just talk about, you know, your, your first uh, period with, with Montreal talk. I, I want you to focus on what happens to a lot of guys is that they don't get cut right away. And that actually really screws them um, with other teams, but it is the nature of the business. Um, you know, I know I said a lot at you there, but yeah. you know, walk us through, walk us through that Montreal um, preseason. Yeah, getting into Montreal, they had Troy Perkins and uh, Evan Bush were the two kind of go-to guys there at the time. So I knew that I was going in to compete to be the third string goalkeeper. I was actually competing against uh, Maxime Crepo, who's now the starter at LAFC. Um, he was a homegrown product for Montreal Impact. He was with the Canadian youth national team at the time. And um, they were kind of having us both battle it out. And um, we went through preseason, the entire preseason. And then on the second to last day of preseason, they kind of told me that they weren't going to offer me a contract. Um, so I had about a day left in preseason to try and figure out what kind of like what the next steps were and if there were any other teams that hadn't solidified their roster yet. Um, so my agent reached out to a few different teams and reached out to Columbus and Columbus's GM at the time, Brian Bliss, and he had been keeping an eye on me for a few years. And, uh, he told my agent about the MLS pool goalkeeper position. Um, they had just solidified their roster with goalkeepers, but they said that, um, they would recommend me to the league to be an MLS league pool goalkeeper and that I could be stationed in Columbus and they would be able to like take care of me for the year. And basically what, for anybody that doesn't know, the MLS league pool goalkeeper situation is you sign a senior minimum contract with the league, but you're not specifically on one team. Um, and then one team kind of keeps you and you train there every day. But then if there's a red card injury or a team needs an extra goalkeeper for training like they'll call you and they'll fly you out to like whatever team needs you um so my first year in 2013 I spent uh, most of my time in Columbus but kind of bounced around a little bit um when other teams needed it and when he says bounce around uh he was uh you you know a lot of these guys these days don't even know what Chivas USA was but uh, you were uh, Chivas USA, New England, uh, Real Salt Lake, and then you end up, uh, you're always in Columbus, but um, end up representing Columbus. So um, the one thing I do want to talk about, we're going to get into Columbus, NYCFC, and then where you are now in Austin. But the biggest thing is, um, you know, goalkeeper union, you know, just talk about this, this mentality you have to have as a goalie. It's, it's so wild to me that you can be such a talented player and you can wait and wait and wait. And then all of a sudden you get your opportunity and you're a star. And, and, you know, it's for you, I think it's awesome because it makes you really humble. It's one of the few positions that, you know, I say guys really do earn it because they, they basically are giving one opportunity and, and it can go really well for you or really bad. And then the rest of your career could be based on that. But just talk about the mentality you have to have um, you kind of hinted at it with the PDL stuff where there's a lot of guys, but the pros are no different. You know, just 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 tell listeners what it's like, you know, in, in your head, you know, getting ready, even though you might not be called ever. Yeah, I mean, anybody that knows the game 
always knows that oh he's a goalkeeper uh, he's a little bit little bit loose in the head got every every goalkeeper is a little bit crazy uh, but I think the mentality for goalkeepers is just really different because we spend so much time together as a group and it's almost like in our training sessions we have to one help the guy in front of you get better while making yourself better at the same time and the the bond that goalkeepers have is just a little bit different but the mentality is also a little bit different because there's really no subbing in to get minutes there's really no like rotating of goalkeepers on teams so it is a lot of um, just kind of putting your head down working every day training learning as best you can and um, I mean it is difficult there are a lot of goalkeepers that kind of don't want to continue just training and waiting for their opportunity and kind of go on to other things. But those that kind of stick around and wait for their chance, um, obviously have a little bit different mentality. And there's been a lot of guys like guys like Stephen Fry, Joe Willis, Zach McMath. Um, a lot of these guys have had similar stories where they go through periods in their career where they're not seeing games. Um, and then when they get their chance, they just kind of run with it. So as I was coming up, I had guys like Tim Melia as well, um, Luis Robles. Like I, when I was a younger player, I had these guys and I kind of looked at that and I was like, okay, I mean, he didn't start playing until he was this age. So maybe if I just keep my head down and keep working, like I could do something similar to that. Obviously I didn't want to wait until I was 30, but I mean, it is what it is. I, it happened. Uh, but Yeah. I mean, as a goalkeeper, it's just uh, it's a very lonely position, but uh, it's it's fun. Yeah, no, I I said I, goalkeeping was the hardest thing because you you could be great for eighty nine minutes, and uh, and then you know that one minute, you know, or or you could be great for ninety minutes, and for that five extra minutes of extra time, uh, you're not so great, and you didn't do your job. But um, mm -hmm. clearly, you did well to impress Columbus. They end up. Uh, bringing you on um, you talked a little bit about uh, some of the guys that you saw you played behind some really impressive players uh, in your career so far um, you know er earning your way up to where you are now Steve Clark you had Zach Staffan um, you know those were the Columbus guys talk a little bit about Columbus they loan you out to the Dayton Dutch Lions for some games um, I think the Wilmington Hammerheads which is a pretty uh, not notable club and this was with uh, USL Pro. Um, did you look at these as an opportunity um, where you enjoyed it? Or did you think this was more of a grind, you know, where you, you, you were just still waiting for, you know, I, I belong in MLS. This isn't my place. So 2014 was my first official year with Columbus. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have a really good goalkeeper coach in Pat Onstead, who Houston fans will know very well, as he is now the sporting director there. Um, he kind of was the perfect guy for me at that point in my career, not only because he was a great goalkeeper coach, but he was a great mentor to me. Um, he kind of came to me before that year and he was basically like, we need you to get games. Um, our affiliate is Dayton. What we're going to do is you're going to train here two days a week. Then you're going to go there, train two days a week, and play the games. I was like, okay, sounds great. Like I still get first team training. I get to train and play on the weekends. Great. Uh, it didn't end up working out that way. Um, as people know with loan situations, it's not always up to the MLS clubs who plays games. And with Dayton, I would train with Columbus, go down and train with Dayton. And then on the weekend, I would be sitting the bench for um, the guy that was kind of there, had been there for several years prior to that kind of was the guy that the coach entrusted being their goalkeeper. So I went through that for about four months of the season. Um, I got an opportunity to play in the Dayton Open Cup game against Indy 11. And I actually ended up getting injured during that game. Um, had a little bit of an ankle surgery in June. And then I talked with the coaching staff and I was like, listen, Dayton's not really working out. Um, is there a different USL team that you could send me to? 
Um, that way I can at least know that I'm going to be playing games. Um, they came to me and told me about Wilmington. Obviously, it was a little farther away, and I would have to move away from my then-girlfriend, now-wife. Um, and it was one of those decisions that you had to make, whether it was take the easy way and continue like staying at home and um, doing that, or leaving for four months and hoping that you play every single game in a different state. And luckily for me, my wife has been amazing throughout my entire journey. She supported me in every decision that I've made about my career and kind of was like, yeah, go have fun. Like, we'll stay here in Columbus. You go to Wilmington and play your games. And then when the loan's over, you'll come back. Um, and when I got to Wilmington, it was a lot better. Um, trained every day with them, played every game with them for the remainder of the year. And it was a really good experience just because got to play games, um, got to experience a little bit of a different um, like playing style. So ultimately it ended up being a good experience, but obviously my, my expectations for myself and the expectations for my career were always like, what's the next step and how do I like get farther in my career? Well, um, thank you for walking us through that. Um, I know that Columbus, you, you did play um, a little bit there, but not really, um, you know, when you're playing behind a guy that ends up being on the national team and, and goes to, you know, Europe and, and is playing for some pretty big clubs over there. It's tough. Um, so then you find out you've been traded. The NYCFC trades for you, which is cool. Only problem there is, is you're going to play behind Sean Johnson, who's also uh, uh, a big, a big, strong goalie that has made a huge impact on U.S. soccer. Um, you know, what were you thinking going into New York? Um, you know, what was that experience like? Because you did spend a, a decent amount of time there. New York was great. Um, and fortunately for me, when I was traded from Columbus, they, they kind of gave me the option of where I wanted to go. There were a couple other teams in the running. Um, and they kind of like left it up to me. Greg kind of called me and kind of left it up to me which team that I wanted to go to. He wanted to see what was best for what I thought was best for my career. And um, ultimately, we decided, me and my agent, my family, we all decided on New York just because we knew Sean was part of the national team. And we knew that he was going to get called in and I was going to be able to at least play a little bit of games. Um, and I also, I talked to Josh Williams a little bit and he was like, yeah, if you get a chance to play in New York city, like definitely take it just because it's a different club mentality. And, um, it's a very different like culture, uh, after coming from Columbus. Um, so going into New York, I kind of knew where I was on the depth chart. They kind of told me straight away that I was going to be the number two behind Sean and uh, anytime that he got called away that I was going to play games and I was going to play open cup. So, um, that was a new mentality for me just because I knew that I was going to get some sort of games throughout my time there. Um, and so just kind of went in, put my head down, knew what was going to happen. Um, Sean is an amazing, amazing guy, amazing goalkeeper. And, uh, we had a really good goalkeeper group there in New York. Yeah. And, you know, you, you did talk about Greg there and, uh, you know, Greg, one of Greg's assistants was a guy named Josh Wolf. Um, while you're in NYCFC, there's a guy running that club and Claudio Reyna. Um, why are those names important? Uh, because of where you are now. And if I had to, I was trying to think about this after I wrote it down, but I really can't think of a, a more different change than to go from New York City to Austin. Texas. And, and I don't mean it's, it's, it's just different in a lot in so many ways. And I was trying to think of where else I could say like maybe Kansas city or, but you know, then you say Columbus to New York city to Austin, like that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty interesting change there, but talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, how do you end up in Austin? How does this work out? When did you find out? And, and were you, you had to be pretty excited. Yeah, I was, uh, so it just happened that my contract was up and with all the new CBA structures, I was going to be a free agent when Austin was coming into the league. Uh, the timing couldn't have been better. Um, 
But when Josh got named head coach of Austin, I dropped him a line just kind of congratulating him and telling him that, you know, like, would love for you to have my name on a list of players. Uh, Going to be a free agent. You guys come in. Like, would love to stay in touch and try and, like, see if you need a goalkeeper. Like, I would love to come down. And then a little bit later, Claudio got named um, sporting director and general manager. And so I dropped him a line. I was like, hey, Claudio, uh, you obviously know that my contract is up and I'm going to be a free agent. Uh, uh, I've talked to Josh. Uh, I would love the opportunity to come down to Austin and prove that I'm capable of being the starter. And uh, eventually, after me reaching out several times to really no avail. They called me toward the end of the the 2020 season and Josh just kind of told me straight up that their idea was they were going to bring in two guys that um, were highly recommended to them and guys that were going to put their head down and compete from day one. They didn't want to have an out and out starter for the goalkeeper position. Uh, in preseason they wanted us to come in and fight and one of us to kind of like take it in preseason and they brought in Andrew Tarbell who had just won MLS Cup with Columbus and had shown that he was a starting caliber goalkeeper in Columbus and uh, I kind of me and him came in in preseason and battled battled our asses off and ever since then have been battling uh, in training and uh, it's been it's been a good experience. Yeah, well, a couple things there. Um, have you tried texting Greg and letting him know you would be interested in playing on the U.S. men's national? Anyway, that's just something to think about. Something to think about. If it seems the texting was working, uh, maybe don't let that go. Um, but you did talk about the battle. You battled your ass off, and you know you end up um, being the first ever goalkeeper. Um, for Austin FC, congratulations. That's something that no one else in the world um, can say, which there aren't a whole lot of those things um, out there. So um, you become a fan favorite. Um, we talked about my children. You know, we went to a game there and it was just a completely different atmosphere. They they asked why other games weren't like that that they'd been to, um, you know, but you guys are the product that Austin puts out is really impressive, but it took a while to get there. And by a while, I mean a whole whopping year. That first year, um, you know, it was the trials and tribulations of a first year team. Um, but I think you were a real, real bright spot in that. And you won uh, defender of the year for the team, you know, but just talk to me a little bit about, you know, that first year, you know, you don't have to go too far into it. And then kind of what, what has changed to make you all, um, all of a sudden a, a world beater in year two. Yeah, last year was extremely difficult for a lot of reasons. One, we took a lot of season-ending injuries uh, toward the beginning of the year. So we lost a lot of players that we thought were going to be key backers throughout the year. Um, Two, we were trying to implement a brand-new style of play for a lot of players. Um, Fortunately for me, like, I I was with Josh in Columbus. I was with Claudio in New York. So the system just kind of came natural to me, like I've been playing it practically my entire professional career. Um, And then just kind of like everyone was new to Austin. Everyone was uh, figuring them, figuring themselves out, figuring out uh, how to be a starter. A lot of us last year were kind of first team or first time starters for an entire year. So we were all trying to figure out like what that meant personally, what that meant uh, from a leadership side of things. Um, And I think we were all, more focused on making sure that our, our individual play was up to a level um, that was good enough. And I think coming into year two, we have a lot more comfortability as a group. Uh, we have a lot more MLS veterans in the locker room that have been here, that have done it. Um, the guys that were here last year uh, have fallen into more of a leadership capacity. Like we're more concerned about like other guys in the locker room and, we know that our individual performances will come when the group succeeds. So um, I think this year we've just uh, we had a real cohesive locker room. And um, I think we've had a real, real buy-in to how Josh wants us to play and kind of implement our style. 
Yeah, and, and you guys are a lot of fun to watch. I, I mean, you were a lot of fun to watch last year. I think that's one of the, you know, the brands that, that Josh brings. Um, but, you know, you've, you've, uh, you've done very well. You're, you know, I would say you're, you're becoming known for your shot blocking, you know, and the stats will back me up on that. But I also feel like you're, you're kind of leading this, uh, I call it the Ramondo ability, where he was so great at saving penalties. And when I think of guys in MLS that save penalties, um, I think of you now um, as as the guys that are that are that are in the league. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, you are a man of the people. I think they have two beers uh, named after. Or, you know, you have your own two beers. Like there's all kinds of all kinds of really cool stuff uh, that's been happening for you. But a lot of it is is because of the stuff that you're doing off the field. And um, you know, the first thing I like to joke about is um, you you're obviously a good guy, but you were really thrown right into it when you got there and that you came from New York. And I just imagine a guy from New York coming in from New York or, or Ohio. And you're like, Hey, the temperature got really bad last, you know, not too long ago. And we had a big bad freeze. And I just, I just would love to know your mentality of, for those that are in Texas, know what I'm talking about. We had a freeze in Texas. It wasn't really that cold, but every all hell broke loose. So um, and you were you went right into action. You got called into action to support the community. Just tell me what was going through your head when, when that happens. That was a very interesting time. One, it wasn't that cold. <laughs> Two, there wasn't that much snow on the ground. But when I walked outside with my dog, what I didn't fully comprehend was that this state is not equipped to handle any type of snow or ice, like any of it. I called my parents and I was like, there's maybe an inch of ice on the ground, but the entire city is shut down. And then the power grid failed. And I was just baffled by how all of this was happening because in Ohio, it's like that wouldn't have stopped anything. In New York, that wouldn't have stopped anything. Um, but our apartment lost power for four days. So my wife, me, our dog were locked in our bedroom, in our bed, in hoodies and coats under the blankets, like eating like ramen noodles. And like our refrigerator was the balcony. Um, so it was a very interesting experience. But um, Matt Beasler called me the one day and was like, hey, hope you're doing okay. Um, I think this would be a really good time for us to kind of do something for the community. Uh, and kind of show that we're just not professional athletes that came here to just kind of disrupt the natural order of things. Um, and his idea was just kind of to put ourselves out there and become part of the community and do our best to um, like show the community that we're here for them, not just for soccer. And that was when the idea of the GoFundMe started and we kind of passed it around to the other guys and we started promoting it on our social channels and we ended up raising, I think it was about $65,000 um, that went straight into the Austin community to help those that lost power who were without food and water, all of that during that horrific time. Yeah. Y'all end up raising like five or six times what you thought you were going to raise, which is really cool. It's a great introduction to the community. And I feel like you have just, really ran with um you know whether it's the timing of, of of you or maybe the personality of you and your wife that causes y'all support in the community that accepts um you know people that are willing to give their time and their effort but let's talk a little bit about that you were nominated as the mls humanitarian of the year in 2021 for some of the things we're about to talk about i suspect you're going to win it in 2022 that's just a hunch um but you've been honored lately for some things that have gotten, you know, I said global at the beginning because it's a, a global recognition. Um, and we'll talk about these as much or as little as you want. That's first, I'm going to start with the four ATX Foundation. Uh, you were the 2022 award recipient, um, which they, they give it. It's a legend of the year. So congratulations on being a legend. A lot of people claim they are. Not many people get an award that say they are. Um, talk to me a little bit about um, what 4TX Foundation does and, and what you do with them. So the 4TX Foundation is our charitable arm of Austin FC. And one of their main goals is kind of 
bringing um, soccer to underserved communities. But in those communities, they don't just bring like free mini pitches or uh, free after school soccer lessons. Um, they really kind of bring these kids to a safe spot to give them a place where one, they can play sports, they can learn everything that sports has to offer, like teamwork, camaraderie, communication, athleticism, all of that stuff. But they also really focus on um, like the basic skills of life. They, they talk about school, they talk about um, health and nutrition, they talk about um, what it takes to kind of like grow and learn and be a leader in society. So they really go out of their way to not just um, teach these kids about soccer, but they use soccer as a tool to teach them valuable life skills. That's very cool. Um... You know, I think it's great that you guys have an active arm that does that because I've been on some teams where they have that capability and they don't they don't use it to the best of their uh, ability. So it's awesome. Congrats on that. I start with legend, but the the one that uh, most people are really talking about and uh, one that's it's it's really I know it's really awesome and it's also heartbreaking because of uh, COVID. But yeah. the, uh, you were the first ever MLS player to be nominated for. Uh, and SP and ESPN Muhammad Ali Sports Humanitarian of the Year Award. Um, you know, I, I, the people that were on the list with you as a sports fan that had to just be awesome. I know that the whole idea behind it is um, that you're doing great in the community, but I'm a sports nerd. So Carl Anthony Towns, uh, you know, from the NBA was nominated. Yet Anthony Barr uh, from the NFL was nominated. And then the guy that ended up winning is Hall of Famer to uh, be Albert Pujols. Um, but what did that mean to you just to, just to even be, um, you know, I think as a, as an American sports fan or really a sports fan around the world, you know, to have an SB nomination is just a, a huge honor. It's a huge thing to say that I was a part of that. Um, what did that mean to you? It was an unexpected honor. Uh, when we found out that the club had kind of put me up for that and that I was one of the finalists, it was kind of a bit surreal, uh, very, very grateful to have that type of platform to showcase kind of the, the work that we do with all of our different organizations. Um, like you said, it was a bummer that after two and a half years of not catching COVID, it was the one time that I caught COVID is the time that I'm supposed to fly to be part of the ESPYs, but um, it's okay. We watched from home and uh, I enjoyed it during my isolation. But uh, it was, I mean, it's truly something special. And like, I'm very grateful that even I was a part of that. And like you said, like being a sports fan, kind of seeing your name next to those other guys, you're just kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. Oh, that's awesome. And, and uh, it's hilarious. Like I'd say, I get, I get prepared for this and you have to go through like 10 pages of stuff because you type your name in and it's like every organization that you've ever been uh, communicated with or associated with is like completely claiming you like oh brad brad you know brad ate here once like this is this is who he is but uh, all joking aside you were nominated and you you talked about it it was for some of the things that you've been doing in the community and i want to focus on uh, a couple of those now uh, let's talk about your founding board member of equality texas that's the largest LGBTQIA plus advocacy nonprofit in the state of Texas. Um, talk to me about your role there and how you got involved with them. So I just got involved with Equality Texas uh, kind of this year. Um, well, I got involved with kind of knowing who they were and kind of like the base layer last year. I was introduced to someone who worked for a different organization but knew the people at Equality Texas. And they kind of helped me write an op-ed last year about the inclusion of transgender youth in sports. Um, there were a lot of anti-trans bills going on in the Texas legislature in 2021. And it was important for um, those of us that have a platform to kind of speak out against some of those measures. Um, and then this year, the... Um, CEO and president of Equality Texas kind of approached me and asked me how I felt about joining the board of trustees. And 
Um, I had never done it before. It was not something that I had ever really thought about doing, but um, I'm kind of learning on the fly. It's definitely, it's been a new experience. It's been something that has been um, very, very rewarding to be a part of, but uh, also very um, demanding and uh, really kind of learning what's going on behind the scenes and we're doing our best to um, have a quality for all. Did you get involved with that through Athlete Ally or is that completely separate? No, so Athlete Ally actually introduced me to the people on the ground here in Texas who were a part of Equality Texas and the LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce here in Austin. And the Athlete Ally um, team kind of put me in communication with them. So me being involved with Athlete Ally from New York actually gave me the connections to join up with Equality Texas down here. And so, and you're an ambassador for them, for those that don't know. Um, you know, I'd say that uh, one of the biggest things we've seen, especially my generation and especially the generation before me, um, where athletes were, you know, the shut up and dribble type thing where yeah. it was stay in your own lane. Um, you know, I don't think people understand with social media, the backlash you get, um, good or bad from, you know, in, any decision you make, there's now backlash if you don't make any decision. Um, so I, I applaud you for um, being at the forefront of that. I'm very aware, uh, you know, if you have a bad game, uh, if you have a good game, that there are people that uh, want to see the world burn. And, you know, I think some of the bills you talked about, a lot of them come out of my home state where I grew up in Florida. Um, so I think it helps to have people that are uh, willing to stand up and say, I'm going to I'm going to put my name on this and I'm going to deal with uh, with the stuff that comes from it. So. Uh, kudos to you for that. Um, let's talk about another one that I think is, uh, I'd never heard of it till we, uh, till I started looking into you a little more after coming to a game up there. Um, and that's the laundry project. Um, for those that don't know, this thing is just, it's really, really cool. Um, can you, can you spend a little time and tell us, I think you've had uh, seven events since you've joined the team there. Um, but, you know, talk about current initiatives and, and what this program is. So the Laundry Project and Engage Current are probably the longest nonprofit that we've worked with. Um, my wife and I actually got involved with Engage Current when we were still in Columbus. It was one of her high school friends and her husband who were working for the nonprofit Engage Current. And they kind of came to us and kind of gave us the spiel about what the Laundry Project was. And how they would fundraise money, they would fundraise laundry supplies, detergent, um, fabric softener, stain remover, uh, dryer sheets, and then they would go into a public laundromat in a lower income neighborhood. And then anybody that walked through the door for three hours could do their laundry for free. Like anybody that walked through the door, we would pay for their laundry, they could use the detergent and everything that we had already fundraised. Um, and we started doing it in Columbus. Uh, we took it with us to New York. And then when we came down here to Austin, we obviously wanted to continue that tradition and kind of bring it to a new city. And um, the Laundry Project is in over 55 cities in the country. Um, like you said, I think we've done, I think we're up to seven projects now. I think we did two or three last year. We're up to five this year. And we have another uh, we have another four projects lined up for the remainder of this year. Yeah, I, I, I was fascinated by it. I think it's awesome. Um, you know, something I would love to be um, a part of. I just think that's really cool. And in college, I used to have to go to the laundromat and um, you, you really get to see some, um, some unique souls that go into these places and that need to use those type of things. So it hit home with me. Um, talk a little bit about, well, uh, I was talking about some of the things where you're using your voice uh, for social change, whether it's marginalized people or, um, you know, some of the human rights things we discussed. Um, you spoke at a, on a panel with Michael LaHood at South by Southwest, which is, um, again, as a Texan, I don't know how big this stuff is outside of Texas, but as a Texan, South by Southwest is a huge deal. Um, you were, it was athlete activism using sport for social good. Um, you know, just, I guess instead of going too far in that one, is, is what drives you to 
be this person that, um, you know, that, that is so active, you know, it's going back to, uh, college, I would guess, and probably before college, you had a bunch of social stuff that you were working on, but you know, what, what, what drives you to do these things? I think family for me is probably the main reason. Um, growing up, I always saw like my parents trying to help our community or kind of signing up to do volunteer stuff. I mean, my mom was a nurse and then she worked at a nursing home. My dad was part of the school board and he was in the army. So this idea of just kind of serving others was kind of ingrained into my brother and I. Um, and so from like an early age, we were always kind of just involved with doing stuff in our communities. And now as a professional soccer player, I think it's more important now than ever um, because the communities that we live in are the communities that give us the ability to kick a soccer ball for a living. Uh, we always say that we have the best job in the world and we shouldn't take that for granted and we should never forget where we come from. Um, so I think for me, it's more, I want to do everything that I can to one, give people, all people, the same opportunities that I had as a kid to live out their dreams and, um, kind of play the sport that they love, regardless of who they are, where they come from. And also it's about giving back to a community that is your home. Um, right now, Austin is my home and I want to do everything I can to, um, keep Austin as much of Austin as it can be and, um, try and help it be better at the same time. Yeah. And, and, and you, you've kind of hinted at, um, you know, your girlfriend that became your wife, um, Ashley, you've given her a lot of credit for a lot of the things that y'all do. So shout out to her and, uh, really all the athlete wives that, you know, not only support the spouses, um, and their careers, but they're also leading the way in the community as well. People don't realize that you get to, um, I guess, have the spotlight on you, but you know, your light shines bright on her through, um, you know, you give her a lot of credit. I, I just joke and say my wife led the drinking team, um, you know, at the clubs I played at, not the um, community <laughs> outreach, but I'm allowed to say that she's never listened to this podcast. So I can say whatever I want back to you and giving back the, um, the last thing I want to bring up before uh, we close it out, um, I should have brought it up earlier, but the Ohio Wesleyan, you, you kind of mentioned maybe going to school there, um, but you did coach there when, when you were up in Ohio um, for several years. Um, is, is coaching a passion of yours? Is this something that um, you've continued or had the opportunity to do? do are we going to expect to, um, you know, you talked about Pat Onset. I played with Pat when he was 43 years old. So we expect you to play for a really long time, but uh, do we do we see Brad Stuver being a, a lifetime uh, MLS not only player but maybe a coach, GM, something along those lines? I, I don't think so, but I, I never know. Um, I know the hours that the coaching staff puts in, and they are way more than what a player puts in. I don't know. After having hopefully a very long career, I don't know if I want to put my family through that uncertainty of uh, whether you're going to move or the hours and the preseasons and all that stuff. Um, it's definitely a passion. I love coaching. Uh, I actually got my strength and conditioning license during COVID. Um, so I have that as well. Um, kind of diversifying what I can do within the soccer realm, but I guess we'll see. Hopefully not thinking of retirement anytime soon. So no, focused on playing for another 10 years, 12 years, see. Yeah, well, that's what I was say, goalies have to wait about 10 years to get their opportunity, but they, they play till they're 40. So they get yeah. another, an extra, an extra 10 to, you know, 10 years uh, on the other side. So exactly. um, I actually, I actually knew you were a, a strength coach based on uh, your LinkedIn profile. Um, that leads perfectly into uh, Brad's on social media. If you want to see some of the great things that he does on and off the field, I encourage you to follow him. Um, he is also a foster parent for dogs. So if you love four-legged creatures, uh, you have to give him a follow. As if we couldn't like you enough, I had to throw uh, some, some animal love in there as well. Um, again, because you're a goalie, I would expect to do this podcast again in about 15 years where you've probably played two or three World Cups for the U.S. men's national team. I want to thank you so much for... 
not only all you do in the community, but for kind of lifting the profile of all soccer players, all athletes, right? We, we, uh, we sometimes focus on a lot of the bad that goes on and, and there's a plenty of examples of, of athletes in the news for the bad things. Um, so it's great to have a guy that that's in there for the good thing. So please keep doing the things that you do on the field. Please keep doing the things that you do off the field. And uh, I know our listeners are very grateful for your time today, as am I. And that is Brad Stuver, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Play by Players. Visit playbyplayerspod.com for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a production of the MLSPA. Learn more at MLSplayers.org.